9. And uh, I think I'm going to read that at the beginning. So this is our Lord sharing the Passover supper with his disciples. Uh, We sometimes call this the Last Supper. This is Matthew 26, and I'm reading from verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So I think um, very widely known words of Jesus. This is recounted in in Matthew and Mark and Luke and and is referenced in in the Gospel of John. We call it the Last Supper. And this is the Passover meal on the night that Jesus was betrayed. It's his last meal before his death. And resurrection. We find these words, don't we, in uh, in First Corinthians chapter twelve, where Paul uses this meal to teach the Corinthian church about unity and coming together and celebrating the Lord's table. But sometimes, when words are very well known like this, we overlook or perhaps we forget the the meaning and the symbolism. So today, I'm just bringing you a short reflection and kind of what these words mean to me. I've had this passage, I think Andy gave it to me four or five weeks ago. I've been reading it, I've been praying on it, I've been looking around the topic. And in the 15-minute drive to church this morning... I very powerfully heard God say to me, no, not like you've prepared it, like this. So, Lord, I am in your hands. And if I'm flicking backwards and forwards, you'll know why that is. I had the the privilege to grow up in an Anglican church. I was taken to church every Sunday, and every Sunday we would have Holy Communion. And I don't think I was a believer then, but this, this celebration every week, I knew was something special. It seemed to be a, a solemn occasion. And when people would come back from the altar, you know, it's an Anglican church, everybody goes up, kneels at the altar and receives. People would come back, heads bowed, and they would sit in the pew, back in prayer, sometimes in, in rapture. And I would think, I don't understand this. It seems to be something that's so important, but I, I just don't know. I think now I have accepted Jesus into my life, I understand more, and I, un- I recognize 
what this meal means. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, whatever we call it, we recognize that Jesus was born Son of God. We recognize that he was perfect at birth. He was born the Lamb of God. And through his self-sacrifice, by the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood, Jesus confirms that promise of God to be with his people at all times. And through Jesus' blood shed, he is the final sin offering. His sacrifice on the cross cleanses all of us, removes my sin and our sin, and restores us to be having a new life, a new life walking out with God, believing in God's promises and trusting in him. So I believe our God is present. Our God intervenes. Our God performs miracles. Our God cares for us. Our God leads us. Our God walked the earth. And our God hates the sin that separates us from him so much that he came into our lives and walked the earth and became the final sin offering. That's like a creed, if you like. So I want to take us back to Bethlehem. And if we're going to commemorate Jesus' death on the cross, let's begin with his birth. His birth is a great beginning. And of course, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. How familiar is that? But did we ever stop and think, shepherds, in the plural, what I know about shepherds is they're quite solitary, looking after their flock. Why did we have a group of shepherds together looking after a communal flock? Doesn't make sense. Traditionally, the lambs that are raised to be sacrificed at the Passover were raised on the fields above Bethlehem. So these shepherds are raising the Passover lambs. These lambs have to be spotless. They have to be perfect, blemish-free. So the shepherds are looking after these very precious lambs that are going to be sacrificed. That's why there are so many shepherds looking after these. Raised near Bethlehem. And traditionally, the shepherds they bring a lamb to present to Jesus. We don't read that anywhere in the Gospels, but the tradition is the lambs bring a gift of one of these 
perfect, spotless Passover lambs to Jesus. How right I think it is that the Lamb of God, the man born to be the Lamb of God, to redeem us, to give his life on the cross, is born in Bethlehem where the lambs are raised for the Passover. So these are not ordinary shepherds with ordinary lambs. These are M&S lambs. Silly joke. These are not M&S lambs. These are destined to be sacrificed at the Passover. Perfect, spotless. And Jesus is the Lamb of God, born in Bethlehem. And just as those lambs are raised to be sacrificed, Jesus, his life His work is to be a sacrifice for our sin. His body broken for us and his blood poured out. So with that in mind, Jesus is the Lamb of God. So let's go back to the Passover, the Last Supper. And of course, this Passover meal celebrates the Passover when the nation of Israel were allowed to leave Egypt. They left slavery. God saved them and went with them on the Exodus. And Moses, wasn't he, was given instructions for how that first Passover was to take place. We read that in Exodus 12. And I have that here. It's Exodus 12, verse 12. This is God speaking to Moses. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you. When I strike Egypt. So every household was to take a young lamb, again, perfect, spotless, without defect, and slaughter it at twilight, at the beginning of the Jewish day, and paint the blood over the doorposts, over the, uh, over the gateposts. Then they would eat that meat roasted. And then at night, God passes through with his wrath and strikes down the firstborn of all of Egypt, but sparing, passing over the nation of Israel. And the Lord commanded that this miracle is celebrated each year and it's passed down in the Jewish nation from generation to generation. And so this is why we find Jesus in that upper room in Jerusalem commemorating the Passover. Well actually he's commemorating the Passover but he's commemorating God sparing his people and releasing them from slavery and bringing them to the promised land. So this is our God, the God who is still our God today, intervening, 
sparing his people from slavery as he saves us from the slavery of sin and leading us into a promised land, leading us into a relationship with God, being his people and caring for us. Of course, this Passover meal has become ritualized. There are certain foods and certain prayers and certain passages from the scriptures that are read. Uh, and I'm sure Elizabeth can tell us much more about, the, uh, uh, about these rituals over tea and coffee. She's our resident expert on this. So in Paul's account, in the letter to the Corinthians, Jesus took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. During the Passover meal, there's a part of that celebration named the breaking of the middle matzo, where three pieces of unleavened bread are brought to the table, and the middle piece is split in half. The bread is broken. So when we read that Jesus broke the bread, it's likely he was breaking the middle matzo. Two pieces of unleavened bread. One piece is broken further and given out to everybody. The second piece, the second half, is wrapped in a napkin and then hidden away to be found at the end of the celebration with great joy. Jesus said, I am the bread. The bread was broken and given out. And the second piece, wrapped in a napkin, Jesus' body wrapped in grave clothes, hidden, placed into a tomb, and then revealed later to great celebration in the resurrection. So this is all happening in two or three days after Jesus sharing the celebration here. But he is saying, my body broken. And in that breaking of the middle matzo, we see just a symbol of what's to come with Jesus' body broken. Of course, this is unleavened bread. And we, we're breaking and we're sharing these, uh, these crackers. In Scripture, yeast is a symbol for sin. Um, we can read that in Matthew 16, where Jesus talks about the sins of the Pharisees. Sorry, the yeast of the Pharisees. So the bread that Jesus is referring to, the unleavened bread, is bread without yeast and bread, therefore, without sin. And his body is the bread. His body without sin. His body without defect, without blemish, without being contaminated by sin. And final thing with the bread, this bread given for us. The bread is the bringing together of many, many constituents. When we come together to share the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, we're coming together in unity. If you think about what goes into breaking bread... It's not just breaking the loaf, but it's the, the sowing and the watering 
and the tilling and the weeding and the reaping and the winnowing and the milling. And it's the storing of the flour and it's the measuring and it's the mixing and it's the baking and it's in this time making the salt from salt water and leaving it out and letting it evaporate and grinding what's left and collecting it. And it's those that are finding the fuel for the oven and the baker and those people that are bringing the bread out of the oven. All of these diverse things that we forget when we go into a supermarket and we buy a loaf of bread. What went into that bread? All these diverse things coming together at the breaking of the bread. All those skills and experience and different backgrounds all coming together at the breaking of the bread. And in Jesus' body broken, we are brought together. We're unified. We're in communion with one another under the love of the Lord. And so it doesn't matter what we call it, Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, Eucharist, breaking of the bread. It doesn't matter what our background is, Anglican, Roman Catholic, any other kind of denomination, or new to faith. It doesn't matter. We come together under the love of God and we celebrate what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And then, after supper, he took the cup. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And oh, what a deep meaning, what deep symbology there is here. This is the blood of the covenant. This takes us back to the time of Moses, when Moses received the law from God, and God appeared to Moses and the prophets or, and his um, people, and revealed himself to them and said that I am your God and this is how you can worship me and how we can live together in harmony. And to commemorate that, Moses made a fellowship offering to the Lord. And he sacrificed an animal and some of the blood he put on the altar that he built and some of the blood is sprinkled onto the nation of Israel so that everyone shared in that fellowship offering. And the people replied, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. So in that covenant, that promise, God promised to be with his people. And the people said, we will obey and we will have you, Lord, as our Lord. So God's promise to be with his people was confirmed in the blood. 
And Jesus, he uses that symbolism of the cup of wine to represent his blood as a, as a new covenant. That through Jesus and through his death and resurrection, Jesus and God and the Spirit will be with his people. And this cup is given for the forgiveness of sins. Of course, this means that the cup of wine represents a sin offering. I can refer you to Leviticus 4, which details all of the different various sin offerings for many, many different circumstances. And if this sin has occurred, then this offering must be given. And if this has happened, then this sin offering is coming. And if, if you can't afford the, uh, the dove offering, then you give a flower offering. Um, and it's a comprehensive set of uh, rules of guidance for, for that sin offering. Why is there a sin offering, though? Well, in that culture, anyone who sinned, sinned against God, and therefore should be cast off from God and put to death. Well, God is a loving God, and he loves his people. And instead of the person bearing the punishment, an animal sacrifice could be made. So instead of the person dying, the animal dies in the place of the person. The sinner, through the sacrifice, becomes justified, made right with God. And the animal bears the ultimate punishment. So Jesus, born in Bethlehem, it's the Lamb of God, spotless, without defect, and without sin, represented by the unleavened bread, without yeast, Jesus becomes the sin offering for us. He becomes the sin offering for mankind. Jesus said there in this passage, didn't he? For many. Jesus, through his death, becomes a sin offering for the world. Look at when this cup, this offering of wine occurs in this Passover meal. After they had eaten, after the meal, this is the third cup of wine. After he'd given thanks, we read, and there would traditionally be four blessings with the third cup. The people would pray for, I lost it. First of all, they would pray for the food. They would look at what's left of the table and they would thank God for the blessing of the food. And they would look up and look wider and thank God for the blessing of the land. And then they would look and they would Thank God and bless him for Jerusalem. And finally, in this escalating prayer with the third cup, they thank God for his goodness. So when Jesus holds the cup and says, this is blood of the new covenant, 
This blood is shed for many. At that point in the celebration of the Passover, the people are thanking God for his goodness. God's goodness is about his love and about his care and about his walking with us through our lives. So when Jesus is saying, this cup is my blood shed for many, that's coupled with thanking God for his goodness. God is good and he loves us and he wants us to be right with him. Jesus speaks to his disciples and he speaks to us and he uses kind of familiar symbolism to tell us what he's about to do. So I believe that Jesus Christ was the spotless Lamb of God. He walked among us. God's plan was for Jesus to be the once and for all sin offering, the sin sacrifice that enables each one of us, many of us, to be renewed with God, to walk with God, and to be able to approach God with our sins forgiven, with us being right in front of God not needing any intermediates, or we can kneel at the feet of God and say, surely God, we love you. So yes, when we share this bread and this wine in a moment, we'll remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, and we'll remember him until he comes. But when we share this bread and this wine, we're saying... We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We believe, as we share this bread and this wine, that Jesus was the Lamb of God. We believe, when we share this bread and wine, that Jesus was the sin offering for us all. So I believe that God is present. God is here right now. I believe that God is with us through his Spirit and is intervening and saving and loving and caring and walking with us as we share this meal. And if you believe that too, you're welcome to share the meal with us. And if you're sitting there thinking, uh, I'm not sure, then come and speak to Steve and me or someone that you're sitting with. And let us pray and share with you about our love for Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read that passage one last time. And then we'll share the, uh, the communion together. Rach, can you just come up and help with the distribution? Thank you. So while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. 
This is my body.